And my mic is not on either. Ryan and I are both batting a thousand. Hey, uh, yeah, well, good morning and a special welcome to you if you're joining us for the first time. You're back from the cottage. You're back from the boat. We've missed you uh, and uh, we're thrilled to have you with us. Also, welcome if this is your first time with us. It's a very special week here at Keystone because we get to launch a very special series uh, called Here and Now. And our season of construction has come to a close. Hallelujah. Except for like 300 flat pack office things that still need to be assembled in the office. We'll talk about that later. Uh, but our new opportunity, our new home, brings some new challenges and some new opportunities. So this fall, I wanted to sort of take two weeks and talk about how we got here and how we got to now. And for some of you, this is going to be a reminder. For some of you, this is going to be a celebration. You've been a part of getting us to this spot. And, and for some of us, it might even be a bit of a challenge to maybe jump in and to become a part of this thing we call Keystone as we move forward. Uh, and, and by the way, if you're visiting with us this morning, this couldn't be a better weekend for you to join us because my hope is that you'll feel invited to pull with us as we continue to build this community because we always have been and will continue to be a church on a mission. Keystone was started 24 years ago by a group of friends to help people find and follow Jesus. Specifically, it was started by a group of Jesus followers who wanted to create a place where they could invite their friends, even the strange ones, with, without having to warn them in advance about what they would experience, except for maybe the popcorn. Okay, so I'm being a little bit playful, but, but let me explain. Uh, this group of friends had a sense that church had become unnecessarily complicated and had drifted away from what Jesus had in mind. And so consequently, it became unnecessarily resistible to many people who really needed to enter a restored relationship with their Heavenly Father through the cross of Jesus Christ. And if you grew up in church, and especially if you were around in like the 80s and 90s, which many of us were, I think you know exactly what they were feeling. Uh, many of us grew up in religious environments where rituals and rules had left our friends feeling like church wasn't for them. Performance and perfection often were emphasized over things like grace. And those who didn't conform to organizational standards were either pushed out or gently asked to leave. More practically, in the 80s, and less so in the 90s, but definitely in the 80s, visiting church often felt like visiting another planet. Have you had this experience, right? They wore strange clothes, they used strange language, and they listened to strange music. Unless, of course, you were a huge fan of organ music, at which point we have a support group for you that will start after the service, right? So all of this, it sort of left people who didn't go to church feeling like they kind of shouldn't go to church, or maybe even they couldn't go to church, but certainly that church wasn't for people like them. And the reason this gets tricky is that if you feel like church isn't for you, then it's a very short line to connect to think maybe God doesn't want a relationship with somebody like you. And that was the sort of thinking Keystone's founders wanted to challenge. They imagined a place 24 years ago where the primary strategy was to welcome everyone, whatever was in their past, whatever they believed, or didn't believe whether or not they understood the rules of traditional church. And uh, if some of you know my story. I joined the adventure of Keystone shortly after its public launch in 1996. It was the first church I had ever visited that had four beers on tap. 
because we were using a rental facility that would have wedding receptions late into the evening. And I remember when I first walked into Keystone's first public gathering space, all I could smell was beer. It was, I thought, we have now left the official church or something like that. I don't even know, right? Uh, but I remember um, being thrilled at the opportunity to rethink how church was done from the ground up. Specifically, I remember one conversation where I was sort of invited behind the curtain to sort of see the heart that drives Keystone. We were at Vitaly's Pizza. Hallelujah, you knew God was there, right? And, and we asked a really great question. And our founding pastor, Gene DeYoung, sort of led us through this conversation. question went something like this. What would we do if we could do anything to help people find and follow Jesus? What sort of space would we create if we sort of threw out the rule book and started from scratch? And I remember at that meeting, I was hooked. Because I grew up in church, and I always had a nagging sense that it could be less complicated. But see, I also had this sense that church was as it always had been, and I assumed it was the way I had already ex always experienced it, because Jesus must have described what we experienced somewhere in the New Testament. But see, he didn't. The Bible never talks about choirs or candles or robes. And so those aren't good or bad. They're just strategies. I had also, growing up, personally experienced the tension of wanting to invite friends to church and wishing I had something a bit more accessible to invite them to. Even then, I believed that the message of Jesus was incredible, and the message of Jesus was irresistible, but we had sort of created a culture around it that was resistible. I remember the day uh, at Vitaly's when, when Jean said, we must remove all of the hurdles in coming to faith except the cross of Jesus. We must remove everything that gets in the way, all the strategies that keep people from faith. We wanted to make sure that Keystone's weekend environments were compelling and could be experienced without the need for a translator. Moreover, we were careful not to draft too many organizational rules right from the beginning because rules have the sneaky way of making people feel unqualified and unwelcomed. So that's sort of how this thing got launched. And, and what's interesting for me now, and I was away from this place for about 15 years, but then in coming back, find the same heart very much intact. And one of the most powerful things I've realized since that day of Vitaly's is that in launching a new thing, Keystone was really rediscovering an old thing. Because Jesus' blueprint for his church was simple and it was irresistible. It was to be a gathering of people around an incredible idea that on the cross, he had made peace between humans and our heavenly father. And we could trust that his work on the cross counted for us and that we did not have to earn anything with God. Moreover, uh, this new community would be driven by one command, sort of a, an ethic that we would filter all of our behavior through to love people like Jesus loved us. That was the blueprint, and it was simple. Jesus wanted his church to be a place where anyone would be welcomed and anyone could be invited to find him and follow him or even to follow him and then over time to find him. That really was what he had in mind. But since the beginning, people have been adding expectations to church. And when I say since the beginning, I mean really since the beginning. In fact, there's a book in the New Testament of your Bible called Acts, A-C-T-S, it comes right after the four accounts of Jesus' life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And in the book Acts, the author Luke gives us a window into those early church meetings and early church struggles. And he helps us sort of understand the tensions that almost immediately arose as the church of Jesus Christ began to spread around the Mediterranean rim and eventually the world. 
And right in the middle of this book called Acts, we have a story of the first time the church was in danger of being complicated and what the first followers of Jesus decided to do with that challenge. That's where I want to spend our time today, looking at that and then talking about what it means for you and me as we move forward from the here and now. So a few years after the death and resurrection of Jesus, a controversy starts brewing. And it had to do with what you had to do to be a part of the church. That sounds a bit familiar, right? I mean, how good do you have to be? How many rules do you have to keep? What about your lifestyle has to conform to sort of organizational norms before you can be welcomed into a part of the community? And all of this sort of made a large group of people feel like they weren't welcomed in the new Jesus movement. And this controversy really is understandable if you consider the first century world, because the first Christians, those first Jesus followers, were in the city of Jerusalem, and they were primarily Jewish. I mean, Jesus was Jewish, his first followers were Jewish. And so when they said yes to Jesus, they sort of assumed that Christianity was an extension of Judaism. Essentially, you had to become a Jew before you became a Christian. But see, not everybody believed this to be true. Because as the message of what Jesus accomplished on the cross and through the resurrection began to spread around the Mediterranean Rim, uh, they were taught that you could have a restored relationship with God and be a part of his church simply because of your faith in Jesus. So you have these Christians around the Mediterranean Rim believing that it's sort of by faith alone that we join the church. And then the leadership in Jerusalem believes, you know, you kind of have to become a Jew in order to become a Christian. And this is not something that you and I have ever considered because we like bacon. Just saying, right? (laughs) But the leaders in Jerusalem were like, no, no, no. If you want to be a follower of Jesus, you got to memorize some things, do some things, clean up your act, and then you can join the church. And some of us are thinking, dude, that was so the church I grew up in right? We had all of these rules, and when a new family came, and they sort of had to go through this indoctrination process, and more than a few ended up kind of not making it through, because they didn't play by the rules enough. Maybe some of you, that was you, and maybe you dropped out of church for a season, maybe a long season, and then maybe somebody told you about the popcorn, and you were drawn by the smell. I don't know, right? But if it's you, welcome back. Yeah, But what I want to do is I want to show you the first church business meeting that's recorded in Acts chapter 15. And there are some huge takeaways for us as we think about Keystone's future. Before we read it, a bit of a warning. It is a touch PG-13, so there's some tension for you. So here we go. Uh, Acts 15, chapter 1, it goes like this. Some men came down from Judea, and that's a region where the city of Jerusalem was, to Antioch, and were teaching the brothers. Now just pause for a second. I brought a map from a satellite. I thought it was being real high tech. So you can see up here, Antioch is in Syria today, and Jerusalem is down here, that's in Judea, uh, about 300 miles apart. So when we read some men came down, they walked 300 miles. So that's kind of a thing. We just like, oh, that's nice. Good for them. Yeah. So they came down and were teaching the brothers, and here's what they were saying, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. So people went from Jerusalem to Antioch, where they had been taught grace alone, and they said, no, no, time out, slow up here. You've got to be circumcised, guys, if you're really going to be saved. You have to have surgery or you can't be a Christian. And the non-Jews in Antioch, and there were a bunch of them, were probably thinking, is this what's in the fine print? Because when that little window came up on the iPhone, I just clicked accept, and apparently I should have read that. I mean, that's kind of a problem, right? And so what this meant practically is that the new members class in the church uh, in Antioch was primarily women. Uh, like, like, it's a slow burn. Think about that one. Yeah. 
And so the guys are in the minivan going, honey, you, you go ahead, uh, take some notes for me. I, I'll just wait here. Uh, you see, some in the early church believed you had to join the Moses Club before you joined the Jesus Club. They wanted to mix the message of Moses with the message of Jesus. So here's what happens in response. This brought Paul and Barnabas, two early church leaders, into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul was carrying the message. You had to embrace faith in Jesus and join the church. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles. You know, the apostles are those first followers of Jesus, John and James and Peter, like the core Jesus guys. See the apostles and elders about this question. Paul wants to have a little chit-chat with the apostles. They need to clear this up. And so Paul was a Jew, and Paul was a Pharisee. He was a professional rule-following Jew before coming to faith in Jesus. But Paul understood that this Jesus thing was a new thing that was happening on planet Earth. And you can't mix the old with the new. And so again, as I mentioned, they walked 300 miles. By the way, at 20 miles a day, that would take 15 days. So this is a big deal for Paul and for Barnabas. This would be like Randy and I deciding that we had something really important to talk to another group of people about, and so we walked to Cleveland. That's 300 miles. So when you're reading your Bible, we sometimes miss the sacrifice that goes into this. But anyway, uh, then uh, Luke continues. He says, when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Paul's like, listen, before we talk, you have to know what's been happening. Because I've been traveling, I've been teaching about Jesus, and Gentiles, non-Jews, are believing. And when God, when they embrace Jesus, God starts doing incredibly powerful things in their lives. And I haven't been telling them that they need to clean up their act first, and they need to follow Moses first. I haven't been giving them a list of things to start doing and stop doing. I've been welcoming them into the fellowship. So we need to sort this out. So... Next verse. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees, and just pause, remember Paul was a former Pharisee, but the Pharisees were the part of the group that put Jesus to death. They were always the bad guys when you read those accounts of Jesus' life. And they're struggling uh, because they have said yes to Jesus, but they're struggling because they're so committed to the law of Moses. This was their training. This was their history. This was their everything before embracing faith in Jesus. So then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, here we go, the Gentiles, so these non-Jews, must be circumcised. And, this is a showstopper, required to keep the law of Moses. And again, you're reading your Bible, you're like, yeah, I'm sure that was really bad for them. No, we miss the impact of this because when we think of the law, we think of the Ten Commandments, right? And we like the Ten Commandments as Christians. We don't really obey much of them, but we like them. They're good. They're good to know, yeah. And, and so, but see, they weren't just talking about the Ten Commandments when they were talking about the Law of Moses. They were talking about the entire Law of Moses, 613 commands. And so they want Paul to go back and train new believers to be Jewish, it's like, Paul, they need to eat right, dress right, talk right, and obey the Sabbath. They have to act like us before they can be a part of us. And some of you are just like, whoa, that's like my church used to be, right? They have to act like us before they can be a part of us. And so we, we read this today and we think that that's crazy because that hasn't been our Christian experience. But, but don't judge them too harshly because this kind of thinking creeps in for all of us if we're not careful we all sort of settle into our own version of following Jesus. And if someone comes along that doesn't fit our vision, we, our version, we become a little bit like Pharisees. 
Suddenly we have our own standards and we're uncomfortable if they don't meet them. So that's what happened in the first century. And so they had a long meeting. So after much discussion, Luke tells us, Peter, who's the number one guy in the church, got up and addressed them. And I'm just going to read part of what Peter says. Peter says to them, brothers, you know that some time ago, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles or non-Jews might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. Peter's like, listen, I too was sent by God to talk to non-Jewish people. Here's what happened. He said, God who knows the heart showed that he accepted them like people who don't even know the law and don't know there were 10 commandments by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And here's the important line. He, God, made no distinction between us and them for he purified their hearts by faith, not by rule following. He, God purified their hearts by faith. By his spirit, he has demonstrated that things have changed. And the Pharisees that were in the room wanted to say, yeah, God purified their hearts, but their habits are nasty, right? They, they still don't do the things that we do. And Peter keeps talking. He says, now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the disciples a yoke that neither we nor our forefathers have been able to bear. He's basically saying, listen, guys, we've had the 613 rules for generations, and we don't even follow them, right? The law has not done great things for us. It's like Peter looks out at the room and goes, hey, yeah, you in the back, Bob, I see you there. Uh, you're a good Jewish boy, Bob, but I got to ask you, you've had the law. Have you ever found yourself sinning? Oh, wait, yes, you have, Bob, because I've seen you at the temple slaughtering an animal, right? Hashtag busted. That's how that goes, right? And, and what about you, Chaim? Which I had to, it's a good Jewish name. I was so excited about that. I didn't do the, it's like, how about you, Chaim? Let's be honest, right? You're a hot mess and you know it, right? You can't do this stuff. And so we don't even keep the law that well. Why would we burden them with it? He continues, he says, no, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. And that's important for all of us, even if you haven't been in church for years, that God can purify your life and purify your heart. I'm sorry, purify your heart before he purifies your life or you drop that nasty habit or fix your marriage. And if he can do that for you, then he can do that for the people around you. So Peter gives this like epic speech. And at the end of the speech, another guy stands up, and it's a guy who carried a bit of weight on his own. It was James, the brother of Jesus, who, by the way, came to a spot where he believed that his brother was the son of God and the savior of the world, which is just awesome to think about. But James stands up, and here's what James says. And I actually have this verse hanging on a card in my office because it is so close to the heart of what we're about as a church. Here's, here's what James says. James says, It is my judgment, therefore that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles, meaning the non-Jewish people who don't follow the rules, who are turning to God. It is my judgment, therefore, we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. It's like James calls time out. He says, listen, I've heard the debate. I've heard the discussion. I know we have a standard. Nonetheless, as we move forward, we cannot make it difficult for people. As a matter of fact, anything that makes it difficult for people who are turning to God should be removed. The church of Jesus is supposed to be a welcoming place for anyone to come. And at this point, you're thinking, okay, James, are you saying that the non-Jewish people, they don't have to follow any rules? Like, they, it's wide open for them? Because that sounds like a recipe for chaos. James is not done. He says, instead, 
We should write to them, telling them, and there's a guy in the corner, take some notes, here we go, telling them, here's some rules. One, abstain from food polluted by idols, something you and I have never thought about. Number two, from sexual immorality. And number three, from the meat of strangled animals. And number four, for blood. And I imagine the guy in the corner taking notes. He's like, all right, blood, sexual immorality, da, 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 da. And he's like, what? And there's like this, and James is done talking. And the room gets really quiet. Like, wait, wait, wait. You're only going to give them four rules. I mean, you, you just took 613 laws and condensed them down to four. And really, when we think about the four, it's basically two and moreover, these four rules really have nothing to do with Gentiles obeying the law of Moses and everything to do with keeping the peace in the church. Because you see, the new Jesus community, there were Jewish people and there were Gentile people. The Jewish people came from a Jewish background. They had the rules. It was deep in their bones. They didn't follow them very well, but they were there. And the Gentiles had no rules. And so like, as this new community comes together, they have to reconcile something that Jesus said about his community, that they would be one that they would be one like he and his father are one, that they would learn to live together and to love one another. And in order to do that, James says, there's a few things that you're going to have to do. So when you look at these four rules, and here they are on the screen, uh, basically three of them have to do with Gentiles not offending their Jewish brothers. The no food offered to idols, no meat of strangled animals, and no blood. And the sexual immorality piece is, is like, listen, as followers of Jesus, like sexual immorality hurts us and it hurts others. So he's like, you got to keep some boundaries around your sexuality. And, and here's the thing. The decision of the first church meeting was mind boggling. They decided that unity in the church was more important than the law of Moses, which is a huge deal. And, and they send a letter and officially broke with the Old Testament rules as the basis for correct living for non-Jewish Christians. So, 300 miles apart, a request is made for some clarity. A letter is returned. I imagine a bunch of Gentile men in a courtyard waiting for this letter, considering what Jesus means to them and whether or not they're willing to have the surgery. And they see the carrier on the horizon. And they see the envelope or scroll or whatever they had, right? And they're sitting there and in their heart of hearts, they're thinking, surgery, no surgery, surgery, no surgery, surgery, no surgery, surgery, no surgery, right? And the letter comes and the letter is opened. And Acts 15.31 tells us the people read it and they were glad for its encouraging message. <laughs> and again, especially the guys, right? And the church dodges the first big split. And notice it would have been over moral imperatives. It would have been over what you had to do to join the church. What are the rules? And this is a big deal for you and I, and it's a big deal for Keystone. And so what I want to leave you with today is two statements to consider, keeping close to your heart as we continue to try to, try to create a welcoming place for everyone. It's sort of where the rubber hits the road for you and me 2,000 years later. Here's the first one. It goes like this. We must avoid the drift towards insiders and away from outsiders. All organizations left to themselves will drift towards insiders because the insiders are the ones that are there that are making the noise, right? And the Jewish believers in the story were more comfortable with people like them. And I am more comfortable with people like me and you are more uncomfortable or you are more comfortable with people like you. It's natural. And here's why. Insiders know the rules. They know where to sit. They know where to park. They know when to stand. 
But here's the beautiful thing about the church of Jesus. It never was intended just for church people or just for people who know the drill. The church of Jesus from the beginning was to have one eye on the people who weren't here yet. Because the message of Jesus is a message for everyone. That's one of the things that in the board meeting at Keystone, we decided, man, we got to make more room for friends. That was how we talked about it. It wasn't just we need a bigger facility. It isn't about the facility. We, we need room for our friends because our community needs a place where anyone can come and hear what God has done among us. So number one, we must avoid the drift towards insiders and away from outsiders. Number two, we must avoid the drift towards law and away from grace in the way we treat people. See, the natural tendency of a local church is to drift, to drift towards policies and categories because they're clean, right? We're just going to pre-decide everything. But see, when you have too many policies, you lose the ability to have conversations. And conversations are a way to communicate that somebody is welcome. Policies and categories are easy. Conversations and grace are messy, but they're also wonderful and they're also powerful. And they're what Jesus did. And they're what his local church should do as well. So here's what I'd like you to consider, um, both as a part of Keystone and also on a personal level. When there's a conflict between grace and truth and you don't know what to do, and sometimes you do know what to do, but when there's a conflict between grace and truth and you don't know what to do, would you err on the side of grace? And if something in you resists that, just consider this. Aren't you glad that God erred on the side of grace for you? And so if we can do this, it's like we can really be the embodiment of what James said. Let's not make it difficult for people who are turning to God. Let's be a welcoming place for all people to find and follow Jesus. Friends, that is the path that led us to here and now. And it's the path that we get to walk moving forward. Let's continue to build a church for our friends and our community that presents the irresistible good news of what Jesus accomplished on the cross as well as his desire to radically transform our lives for the better in the here and now. Uh, before, before I dismiss, um, just an invitation. With the new building has come a whole bunch of new opportunities to jump in, to connect, to serve, and to help us make this place a welcoming place for everyone. And so I asked the staff this week to sort of, you know, what, what do you need? And there was an avalanche of emails that came back to me. And I went, whoa, I'm going to scare people if I tell them all that. They're going to be like, we're falling apart. We are a little bit. We need your help. Okay. So here are, yeah, here are a few things to consider. We have this wonderful new west entrance over here in the old student room. We have coffee. We have popcorn. We have people shaking your hand. Here's the problem. We don't have enough people to make coffee or popcorn or shake your hand. So if you have a hand... You are qualified, right? And you can help us. That would be amazing. Um, and there's a place to sign up to help out with that West Entrance team. Maybe do it with a group of uh, people that you do a Bible study with. Maybe you're brand new at church. You just want to meet a few people. That's cool. You even get a t-shirt and a name tag. I'm not bribing. Maybe a little bit I'm bribing. Okay. Uh, the other thing we need help in is our kids program. We have been fruitful and multiplied. So that's a good thing, right? Um, but we have all these wonderful kids and we need more adults to help sort of herd them. And, and I talked to Holly this morning. Here's what she told me. You don't even have to like kids, okay? That's not a prerequisite. We got stuff. You can be security if you always wanted to be the hall monitor, all right? 
stand there and be like, you, back in your class, okay? I mean, we got place for you. The other thing um, that's kind of fun that is coming starting next week, we've created a room for volunteer kids. So you're like, I would love to volunteer, but I have kids, which a lot of us do. And if I come and serve, then my kids have to go to church twice. And then in like three weeks, they don't want to come anymore. And it's a mess. So what we did is we actually created a room called The Hangout. And The Hangout is a place where kids who come for two services can hang out, right, in the other service. And so there'll be video games there and there'll be other stuff for them to do. No, like, no, no Bible lesson part two or anything like that, but we'll need some volunteers to staff that room. So if you have a spiritual gift of video game playing, all right, that, and you're like, I don't like kids, but I can play video games with kids. That could be a great place for you to serve. It would really make a difference. One last thing. Uh, we are building a garage um, out just out past the New West entrance. And if you are a construction type person, uh, Randy would love to talk to you about maybe helping us get that up. It's going to be like an Amish barn building with power and no Amish people. That's what it's going to be. So it's going to be great. Okay. <laughs> So anyway, lots of opportunities to connect. And of course, next weekend is our official grand opening and celebration and dedication. Also consider uh, joining us as we sort of walk through this building and pray over it and all of the lives that will be touched here as we bring people into connection with God's grace. So why don't you stand? I'll close us in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for a new beginning and a new chapter as a community. We thank you for all of those who sacrificed to get us to here and now. And we're just so excited to see where our story goes from here. I pray that you would continue to use this place to introduce people to your son, that lives would be transformed and that people would connect. We thank you most of all for Jesus who came among us as light and darkness to show us the way and to invite us to follow. And so we bless you, we thank you. In the matchless name of your son, we pray. Everyone said, amen. Uh, if you are interested in signing up at all, oh yes, at the Welcome Center, they will take your information. Go in peace, we'll see you next week.